0: Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host Kyle Fagala, and today we have another chapter in Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. This will be Dr. Peter Snell who will be teaching us this morning. Peter is going to do an awesome job I'm sure. He told me this morning uh, that he was really excited about teaching on Ephesians 4 just to see if it would freak me out. But I know better than that. I know that Peter has uh, spent a ton of time preparing on chapter 5, and he's going to do, again, do an awesome job. He'll be looking at uh, quite a few things in Ephesians 5. I think it's probably most famously known for its section on husbands and wives, and I think also infamously known for how it's been uh, misread and and maybe misinterpreted, and I trust that Peter will do a good job uh, wading through what is a complicated section of Scripture. So, let's go to Peter Snell right now with Ephesians chapter
1: 5. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. I thought there was just going to be like two people in this class when I first came in here. So, um, glad to see everybody today. Can I watch lock this? Okay. Okay. So today we're talking about Ephesians chapter five. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we'll just jump right in here. And uh, if you're like me. You kind of—I have to be constantly re reminded of like where we are in the context of things, and uh, and so just to recap, kind of where we are in this tour of a, the Book of Ephesians. Remember, Ephesians this is this book that Paul wrote. It was a letter he wrote to the church at Ephesus about uh, A.D. sixty-two while he was a prisoner in Rome, and he wrote it to the Ephesians church for several different reasons um, that we'll go into today, but mostly to give general instruction in. Uh, kind of the truth of God's redemptive work in Christ he wrote it to try to unify a very diverse group of people that was trying to find their identity and find you know how they're supposed to act and interact with the the culture around them and to how uh, God's church should properly conduct themselves in their own church building or their their church in their homes and um, with each other in the community so With that said, that's kind of where we are. Chapter five is the uh, chapter that we'll be going into today. And I've kind of broken it up into four different sections so that we can uh, break it down and kind of talk about some major themes that are in each of these sections. Um, Those sections are, first of all, he talks about how we should be imitators of God. So we'll talk about what that means and um, how that applies to um, our lives today. He talks about being children of light and how we should be a light to those around us. We should be a light in the darkness. So we'll talk about what that means as well. He talks about Christian fellowship. That's the third (coughs) section and how we should interact with our fellow Christians within the church. And then he finishes out the chapter talking about um, Christ's love for the church by demonstrating it through this relationship between a husband and a wife. So we'll kind of talk about those four sections right there. If you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, I might ask uh, a few people to read a few sections. And we'll just go through it section by section and and read it and then talk about it then. So first of all, can somebody maybe from this side of the room read verses 1 through 8 of Ephesians chapter 5?
2: should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greed person, such a person as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much. I appreciate you reading. So, that first, first couple of verses, I like the version that you read, it said to be a, uh, follow the example of God. Some versions say be imitators of God. As beloved children so um, so we're driving in the car and I don't even remember what the conflict was but Tara and I are in the front seat and our kids are in the back maybe you know them, you can relate to the story but some of our greatest conflicts I think come from uh, directions or if you make a wrong turn when we're supposed you know we don't know where we're going heaven forbid one of us is using Google Maps while the other ones using Apple Maps that's like recipe for disaster right there but um so we're driving in the car and uh you know tara and i are kind of going back and forth each other and bickering and all of a sudden from the back seat we hear one of my kids i don't even remember which one it was but one of them said come on babe and when she said that I was like it was like a gut punch because I was like oh my goodness my kids are repeating exactly what I say all the time so it was like a wake-up call for me so Tara I'm sorry I talk to you like that sometimes (laughs) but uh, it was just kind of a funny example to me of how our kids are are completely imitate their parents they look to us as the example to follow And that's what this verse is saying. It's saying that we should be imitators of God like beloved children. So just like children follow the example of their parents, so we should also be imitators of God. So let me throw this out to you guys. Tell me what you think it means to be an imitator of God. What does that mean? Or how can we imitate God?
0: I think what I think of now is that series we did on the attributes of God. Okay. think about fact that a lot of the things we sort of take for granted is moral standards derived from God. So what it means to be good or fair or just or all those sort of things. Right. And there's some, certain things we can't really imitate that are, na- that are in, in God's nature but certain things we can. So be loving is, is to be like God.
1: Great, yes. And that's a good point. So the attributes that we can adopt, we like being fair or being forgiving or being loving, um, do you think it means in this passage that we have to be all-powerful, have to uh, be all-knowing, be the judge of everyone? That's a trick question. The answer is no. I, I don't think those. I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. And I think it's amazing that God has given us the example of Christ um, as an example of who we should model our lives after. Because, like like Kyle said it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around being like God you know this this celestial being that's all powerful that's up in the sky that we you know that we sometimes feel so distant from or uh, can feel so huge that we think me you know measly old me so insignificant how could I possibly imitate God but that's why the gift of Jesus is so beautiful is that we have this this flesh and blood embodiment of god that we can look to to imitate uh, like little children and so i really like um, i really like this this analogy that uh, paul uses in these verses and it would have made a lot of sense to the church in ephesus too because in the greek culture when you had a, a a great greek orator the way that they trained the next generation of orators was by telling them to mimic someone that's better than them. So uh, this idea of this Greek word of mimesis or mimesis, um, it's the idea of being an imitator of someone else. So uh, when Paul tells the Ephesians to be imitators of God, it's kind of like he's saying, find someone that's better than you at what you're trying to do and mimic them. I don't know, has anybody heard of Dave Ramsey? I'm sure everyone's heard of like the financial piece um, guy, so um, this, this financial advisor, he has a podcast, and um, you know this huge industry um, where he teaches people how to be good with their money. And one of the things he says is to, if you want to be wealthy or if you want to be successful, find the people that are be, that are successful and do what they're doing in order to be successful. So. Um, I think that's a good lesson for us and i think that's one thing that paul's trying to impress on us in these verses and another phrase that he uses in verse 2 is how we should be like a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god so that's another aspect of how we should be imitators of of christ is we should it should be kind of infectious it should um it should permeate to the people around us so if we're truly imitating christ then it's going to wear off on other people right because you think about the idea of a sacrifice you would it's a very old testament idea they used it lots of times in scripture so it would have made sense to the people that paul's talking to but uh, what do you do with a sacrifice you take it and you put it you put a piece of meat or dead animal on a fire and uh, it cooks the meat and so the smell kind of permeates out to everyone around and you can smell it and you know the smell of cooking meat can cause you to have like a physiologic response, make you salivate, make you think of things, of eating. And so um, that's the kind of uh, effect that I think uh, Paul is trying to impress on the Ephesians in this verse is he wants us to have um, an effect on those around us by imitating Christ. So. Uh, a similar passage to this would be in, a, in Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight, where it talks about um, having the mind of Christ. Uh, it says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross so like I said it's really hard for us to grasp this idea of being like God being imitators of God this invincible omnipotent uh, being but we can be so thankful that we have the gift of Christ a human version of God that gives us something to be more relatable to and uh, something that Is a little easier for us to wrap our minds around uh, imitating. So let's move on. Verse 3 through 8. It talks about sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So first of all, does anybody know what covetousness is? I had to look this up. Because I always I get really confused with my terms sometimes so um, covetousness is when you have an unhealthy desire for someone else's wealth okay jealousy um, jealousy is the unhealthy desire for wealth and the willingness to do anything by any means in order to get it so it's more of like a general uh, a general desire for wealth and then avarice You might hear this word thrown around is just a general term for an unhealthy desire for wealth it's more of a general term and so when he's talking about uh, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints he's talking about you shouldn't even talk about how how you desire someone else's stuff because it kind of plants the seed of of these things like jealousy and these, um, these impure thoughts in your mind. Um, so just kind of a definition of terms right there. So the next part when he says, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking among you, what do you think he means by that? By foolish talk or crude joking? Does anybody wanna take a stab at that? Does that mean that Christians should never joke around? Yeah, that's good. I mean, you know, scripture it, scripture speaks for itself, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a tough one, right? It's it's hard to find where the line is in certain situations. Um, I was thinking about uh, an example, and and uh, so I was I was on Facebook the other day, and I saw a tra- a movie trailer for a, a movie that's coming out or it might be out already. I'm not even sure, but. Um, it was made by a popular comedian and it features kind of these elementary school-aged boys. It's a rated R movie and it features these elementary school-aged boys and the, the kind of the, the shtick of the movie is these kids are using really foul language and they use a lot of sexual innu- innuendo, in the in, at least in the trailer, um, to kind of get like shock value. And when I saw when I saw that, it really made me sad because it was kind of a a reminder to me of how how easy it is to fall into the trap of uh, being swept away in our culture and allowing our culture to influence us, or um, you know, to to use you know the innocence of children to be funny or make money or get clicks, uh, um, and so I think. This is the kind of thing that Paul is warning us to be on guard against, and I I will be the first to tell you I am by no means the culture police, and I am not a good judge of what's right and what's wrong in, in the media that we consume, um, and I I personally am guilty of, of you know consuming media and I'm making foolish talk and, and and making crude jokes like that, um, you know in my life, and that's that's something I need to work on, but. Um, I do think it's important for us to draw from this passage the fact that um, Paul is warning the Ephesian church that in order to influence others, we have to look different and act differently than the culture around you. There has to be something that sets you aside as holy uh, so that other people will want to be holy. So um, so how, how do we decide what is over the line, crossing the line? What? How do we decide what is filthy, foolish talk and crude joking? How do you suppose we figure that out?
0: I think that's a hard question, right? Like, which side of the line is my joke on or not? So maybe an easier way to think about it is like how Paul sets up here. He said like, instead of doing this. Joking, whatever. Be thankful. So, so pursue like in, in Philippians, we talk about pursue like what is good and, and true and beautiful. If um, be thankful instead of worrying like, is this okay? So maybe like how, how we teach like teenagers when they're dating that every 16 year old boy like whats another question like, how far is too far? And I guess as a former teenage boy, I, I appreciate the place where that question is coming from, but it's really not a Christian question, right? The, the Christian <laughs> question is like. How can I honor God in my relationship with this girl? And so you end up, I think, in a better place if you pursue being thankful as opposed to, like, how foolish am I allowed to be?
1: Right, right, absolutely.
0: I think it's sort of like that. It be an imitator of God. I mean, imitate when I'm around holy people, and there's, like, a few that come to mind. It's almost like if this stuff comes up, they just feel like they're kind of, like, in the wrong spot or something, you know? Right. Um, or they just they're just not about those things. Um, so, I, I think we probably all have a pretty good idea of, sort of what this is getting at. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just easy to slip into those conversations when you're not in a church context. Right. And really, the, the point of holiness is that you're always in that context.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's important for us to be vigilant about these things because, you know, if we aren't constantly questioning and evaluating our motives behind the things that we say or the things that we consume, then uh, it's easy to get swept away in that and so you know i think i think the holy spirit plays a big role in helping us decide you know where we fall on some of these things or or, um, you know is this something good for me um, to do or say and just like david said i think you brought up a great point about kind of putting what you're about to say to the test by asking, is this going to bring thanksgiving to God? Is this something that is truly going to build, uh, build the kingdom of God with what I say? Now that's, you know, not everything we say is, ha- carries that weight, you know, but it is an interesting way to kind of view the things that we say and do. I think about uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Um, Tara, what's the name of that CD that we listen that our kids listen to. I like, oh, not it's like Steve Green. He like puts all his verses to. Yeah. It for kids. It's like this this CD that you can buy where they put scripture to like little kids songs, and we let our kids to listen to it because our kids are so spiritual, <laughs> and uh, um, that's a joke. But they are spiritual. But um, no, we they they're actually tired of that CD now, so they don't listen to it anymore yeah like two years we're an exclusive that. uh yeah sometimes shallow that's we listen to that song too sometimes um, so there's this there's a song that puts philippians 4 verse 8 to to music and if you don't remember what that verse is it says whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about such things and so that's a, to me that's a good practical guide for me to use whenever I'm um, you know whether I'm you know surfing on a website whether I'm about to make a joke in a, a group setting or if I'm about to you know uh, talk about someone behind their back you know maybe at work this is this is a good test to put things to put some of those things through before you actually go through with them so i think the bottom line kind of to sum it all up is you know we should use the holy spirit as our guide we should use scripture when we can to evaluate the things that we consume and the things that we say and do Um, and we should live our lives to be intentionally holy and that takes intentionality it's not something that happens passively So just another kind of way that we should be imitators of Christ. So moving on to the next section, Children of Light, verses 9 through 14. Can somebody from this side of the room read verses 9 through 14 of Ephesians 5?
0: Whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light.
1: All right. Thank you so much. So, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. So, when Tara and I lived in a rental house, not our current house, but um, there was a house we lived on Marsha Lane in East Memphis. And when we moved into this house, we were completely charmed by, by the landlords. They were the previous tenants and they had never rented anybody before. And they're like, yes, we, we want you to you know rent from, our, rent from us. And it's a great little place you know, while you're in med school. And uh, you know, we raised our kids here. And so we were like, ah, oh, yes, sign, sign us up. So we signed the papers, we moved in. We lived there for probably uh, two months. And one of the things that they showed us when they were showing us the house is in the bathroom there's a window that goes to the backyard and not just in the bathroom it was in the shower so there's a window in the shower and it goes probably you know from like (laughs) you know uh, waist to nose type height and so uh, but they you know when they were touring us around it they were like you know there's this window in here but we've put this frosting you know you can buy this like stuff at Home Depot it's like a a sheet of paper something that frosts the window and then it blurs everything so that it gives you more privacy seemingly <laughs> and so um, it was in there we're like okay great yeah that, that fixes that no curtains anything so we move in we're there for probably two months that's approximately, like, 60 showers, um, just in your mind, and, you know, if you're counting it up. And one night, uh, Tara's like, you know, like, I wonder what you can actually see outside when we're, in, you know, when we're taking a shower. So so she's like, I'm going to take a shower. You go in the backyard. You tell me what it looks like. <laughs> and then come in and give me a report. So I was like, okay. And so it's dark outside, and, you know, whenever you're, it's dark outside and there's a light on in a house everything in the house is you know readily seen so i go outside and i look in through the window and that frosting is not providing much much privacy at all so i go back inside i was like tara i can see everything (laughs) and she's like what so she's like let me see so i jump in the shower (laughs) she goes outside she comes back in she's like yes okay we will be putting up curtains tomorrow (laughs) so uh, just a kind of a funny example we yeah we had to put up the curtains after that but the light has an exposing nature to us in this new house that we were not used to and that's the same thing that it says in verse 13 is that light exposes things for what they truly are um you know, I had, a high, I had a high school football coach in high school, um, that's kind of redundant, <laughs> but it was in high school. And he said, nothing good, he's like, guys, nothing good happens after 11 p.m. at night. Because he, he wanted us to like stay in our rooms, you know, we were at football camp or something, and uh, was encouraging us to, you know, not go out late at night when it's dark, when everybody's asleep, because nothing good happens in that hour of the night. And the older I get, the more truth I see in that, that uh, statement. And uh, you know, one commentary I read said about talking about light exposing the imperfections and um, exposing things in the darkness. It said, in the bazaars of the East, the shops are often simply little covered enclosures with no windows. So if you go to these bazaars, they, they're often really dark and small. And so when people are trying to sell you something, um, a man might want to buy a piece of silk or an article of beaten brass, but before he buys it, he always takes it out into the street and holds it up to the light to see uh, that, so that the sun could uh, reveal any flaws which might happen to be in it. And just like that, it is the Christian's duty to expose every action, every decision, every motive to the light of Christ. And so I got started thinking about light in general and how Light has this cleansing effect, right? It reminds me of confession. You know, we talk about confession a lot in, as part of one of the steps to salvation, you know, but confession is a very cleansing thing. It creates intimacy. It uh, It's a very core part of who we are as Christians, and I think God knew what he was doing there because is a way for us to create community among ourselves because if we feel like we're connected with someone that someone else is going through the same thing or has struggled through the same thing as me, um, it's easier for us to connect. And so I think about James chapter 5 verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Or 1 John 1 chapter chapter 1 verse 5 through 9 says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. So talking about in darkness, we're lying to ourselves, we're not in the truth, but in the light. Um, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. And it goes on in verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, another analogy to confession and light, um, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I think in this section of Scripture, Paul is encouraging us to be children of light by uh, confessing to one another and by exposing the darkness in our lives to our um, to our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's the way that we create community and I think that's the way that we uh, become more like Christ. Any comments or questions about that? All right. The next section is verse 15 through 21 where it talks about Christian fellowship. So, um, let's see. Maybe I had somebody from this time. So somebody from over here, do you want to read verse 15 through 21 of chapter 5? Thank you. So this is a this is a great textbook ses- section to me on how we should interact with our Christian fellowship. So, um, you know, in this section of chapter five, Paul instructs the Ephesians how they're to interact with one another, and he gives them a few quick pointers which we'll point out here. The first one is he says to be wise and make the best use of time. So, you know, It talks about being wise and unwise. And to me, when I read this, this is very convicting to me because how much time do we waste on things that don't matter? You know, how much time do we waste on uh, mindless scrolling when we're just tired at the end of the day and we're just like, I just wanna turn my brain off and not do anything and just do nothing. Now, there's there's something to be said for rest, of course, Uh, but I think this verse is very convicting For indicating how we should have a sense of urgency with which we do things and how we should be intentional with our actions and our words he says when the days when he says in this verse how the days are evil that's kind of referring to how once the day is over and you haven't done anything in service for God for that day the day has now become evil and so you know I try to think back in the last week you know how many things have I done that have been intentionally for the kingdom of God, and so I think that's a very convicting thought for us. Um, you know, one one mentor I had um, um, along the way, kind of in my college years, it was a, a gentleman who was very intentional about this, and he would actually sit down and make a spiritual life plan at the end at the beginning of every year, and he said, like, you know, this is how many things I want to do this month. I want to have lunch with this many people this month, coffee with this many people, you know, talk with, uh, sit down and, uh, you know, read this section of Scripture, this and this, and that was so impressive to me. I think it takes a level of organization, and I'm by no means an expert, but um, I think those are the types of things that uh, Paul talks about in being intentional with our actions and words. If, if we're just kind of passively... Living and, and and not intentionally doing things or even you know parenting our children that's that's a huge huge intentional uh, practice that we have to take seriously you know so if we're just letting them be passively influenced and we're not actively influencing them for the things that we uh, know are right and are true, then they're going to get swept away and so um, that was a very convicting um, point to me that I took from this scripture. And the next thing he talks about in this section is understanding what the will of the Lord is. So um, what do you guys think? What's the will of the Lord? How do we decide that? Just a couple words. Will of the Lord. What does it mean? Right. It's not, an, not as easy of an answer as, you know, that can be given in a, a couple of sentences, unfortunately. But I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier in the lesson about, you know, using Scripture to guide us and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us so that our decisions fall in line with what the will of God is. You know, um, it was in the, Lord prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It said, let not my will but yours be done. Um, We don't have to have it all figured out all the time. And sometimes we have to ask God for what His will is. But I I think that's important for us to use the Holy Spirit to guide us. Another point it makes in this section is talking about getting drunk with wine and debauchery. So many commentators mention this part and they talk about this maybe not necessarily being an exclusive literal reference to alcohol-induced intoxication. But another clear reminder of us having clear thinking and good stewardship. So, kind of talking about going back to what David was talking about. You know, like you know, if you're trying to just find the line of you know of of um, you know how close can I get to the edge before I do something and it be wrong, then maybe you're not your head's not in the right place. Maybe you have the wrong motivation here, and so. Um, You know this word debauchery literally means sensual pleasures but more accurately what was probably it was probably referring to was being seduced away from your duty as a christian so be careful to not be seduced away from your duty it talks about being filled with the spirit it talks about singing in this verse talking about um, you know that's something that's unique about our church is that we sing And this was something that would have been different about the early church as well that kind of set them apart they sang so if you think about some of the things the reasons why we sing singing is uh, an expression of joy and its expression of thankfulness and the early church was thankful because they were dazzled with the wonder that God this all-powerful being had stooped so low to think they were important enough to be saved and not only that, but they were also different from you know, their society and they had hope that no matter what happens to them, if they're tortured, if they're killed, if they have life circumstances where they lose everything, they can take comfort in the fact that no matter what happens, they're still in the hands of God. And that was something that filled them with joy and I think that was another reason why Paul commanded them to sing here. And then the last part of this section, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this was a command to mutually respect and honor one another, not because of someone's social standing or their profession, but because of dignity and value that every man possesses in Christ. And this is a hard, this is a hard lesson, I think, for us to, to learn because maybe we don't feel like we struggle with this, but probably subconsciously we're being affected by this. You know, how how often do we fall into the trap of you know um, you know when you meet someone new you immediately ask like well what do you do for a living um, you know we have this not saying that anything's wrong with that but um, I think we have to be careful that we don't assign people's worth with what they can contribute to society in general and because you know you start going down that path and you kind of it kind of leads you down a very dark way of thinking about. Um, people in general. And so um, I think it's important for us to see in this passage that every man possesses dignity and value because of Christ, not because of how many awards they've won, what kind of uh, you know things they've given back to society, how much do- money they've donated. Um, they may not be able to to contribute anything to society, they may be totally dependent on society. You know, I think about uh, you know people with disabilities, or um, you know people that are dependent on other children. In general, uh, are completely dependent on adults. And I think it's I think it's important to see that these that our value is not defined in the accolades that we accumulate. It's by The value that we have in Christ. So, we can spend a lot more time on that, but I think it's important for us to apply that to our present day um, interactions. And then the last section of Scripture talks about the precious bond between wives and husbands uh, as an example of how Christ loves the church. So I'm just going to read it uh, very quickly. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ says the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband so for the sake of time um, I, you know, I won't go into all that I had kind of uh, planned for this, but um, I think it's important to, to view the major point from this is Christ is, I mean, uh, Paul is trying to show, demonstrate the relationship between Christ and the church by giving the example of a husband and wife. And, you know, from the commentaries I read, this, it's impossible for us to underestimate how, um, how radical this would have been To um, the early church when paul was writing this so um, marriage looked very different back in paul's day and age and um, you know so just to give you a little context in jewish culture they had a very low view of women to the point that one commentator said that the jewish man had a prayer that he would say to thank god that god had not made him a gentile a slave or a woman and so You know, when you hear that, it's like, makes you cringe. Um, And in Jewish law, a woman was not a person but a thing. She had no legal rights. She was absolutely her husband's possession to do with as he willed. And in general, Jewish men could divorce their wives for any reason whatsoever. Um, But however, Jewish women could not divorce. There was no cause that they could use to divorce um, their husbands. So with that context, Paul writing this was a radical call for a new standard in marriage. So the fact that he's talking about husbands loving their wives um, is, is, it was profound. And um, this passage that he talks about had a, would, had, would have had a cleansing effect uh, on the ancient world around them. And it, it's impossible to you know, exaggerate the benefits that a command like this would have brought to women in general in that society. And you know, concerning verses 22 and 23, you know, just without opening up a cold can of worms, this is probably a, a very misused passage, one of the most misused passages um, that we come across in the New Testament. And um, I'd like to read a, a quote from a commentary that I read that summed it up very well. And uh, and we'll you know we'll we'll close out here pretty soon. But it says. Sometimes the emphasis of this passage is entirely misplaced, and it's read as if the essence was the subordination of wife to husband. The single phrase, the husband is the head of the wife, is quoted in isolation. But the, passage, the basis of the passage is not control, it's love. Paul says certain things about the, that love that a husband must give to his wife. It must be a sacrificial love. He must love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. It must never be a selfish love. Christ loved the church, not that the church might do things for him, but that he might do things for the church. And uh, Paul also said that the husband must love the wife as Christ loved the church, a love which never exercises tyranny of control, but which is ready to make any sacrifice for her, for her good. So, uh, you know, this is, I think this is an important important lesson for us to see that you know the relationship between uh, a man and a woman was so sacred and paul was trying to give it this weight so that they could see how closely christ christ loves his church and um and so i think that's that's the main point is trying to drive home in this passage of scripture and so, just to kind of to finish out, like I said, we we could talk all day on that on that section. There's a lot more that can be said, but uh, you know, we'll go ahead and finish out. We've kind of talked about this morning how in Ephesians five, Paul is commanding the Ephesian church and now us to be imitators of Christ. He wants us to be children of light, be set apart, be intentionally holy, um, so that we can live live our lives wisely and use the love of Christ and His church. As the standard by which we cultivate our own marriages So uh, with that We'll finish out the Chapter 5 of Ephesians And we'll pick up with the last chapter next week In Ephesians 6 Thank you Peter I'll, I'll say a prayer before Scott I'll teach Ephesians 6 uh, Next week and
0: we'll, we'll be done. Okay I want to thank Peter for doing an awesome job With Ephesians 5 uh, If you've noticed a trend it's that it's really hard To teach on an entire chapter of the Bible In like our average class time so uh but i think uh, everyone has done a wonderful job with everything and i think that we uh in in studying through ephesians have noticed that it's a really tremendous book so we have one more chapter scott frizell is going to teach on that next week And then we'll wrap Ephesians and we'll head on into a new series. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I want to thank Peter Snell for doing such a great job teaching today. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. So if you're in the Memphis area on a Sunday, 10 a.m., Highland Bridge Builders Classroom, please come spend some time with us and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.